Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. So this is Christy Metropolis. Y'all show her some love. Yeah. How many of you, you were here last time Christy was here, or you watch her online? Yeah, so a lot of people know who you are. Awesome. Um, when I think about you, I think conviction and tenacity, you know, yeah. somebody that holds on to the word no matter what right. until you see results. There you go. And that, you know, we talked a little bit about what you were doing today, and, and that's what I, are you on? I'm on. Okay. I, I turned it on. There we go. Are we on? Uh, you know, so... What I appreciate about what she's getting ready to share today um, is that it's practical. Mm-hmm. It's a testimony. Yeah. A pretty powerful testimony. So yeah. get ready. If you've got tissues around, you probably will need them if you're prone to that. Uh, not just for emotionalism, but, but you know, w- we were talking and the, the word has to work. Mm-hmm. Or let me say it a different way. As believers, we have to discipline ourselves where we actually go to the word to do life with. Right. You know, so often we just live our lives and we believe in the Bible, right. but we don't take the time to actually assimilate it and live by it. Right. You know? Yeah. And and if you do, if you take it, put it in your heart, biblical meditation, whatever it is, wrestle with it, think about it, renew your mind with it, yep. especially in difficult times like yep. what you're getting ready to tell us about, it produces transformation. It does. Uh, so I, I'm excited. Thank you for Good. bringing us the word. And yeah. uh, if you want to put up her first slide there, if you want to connect with Christy, it's, it's Metropolis. Right. Uh, and it's an interesting, I can never spell it right. That's okay. I don't know. Most people Most don't. people can't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then on, as you go, you know, you've got some things to tell us about, but yeah. thank you for coming. Appreciate thank you, you for being here. Me. Yeah. Share a little bit of love one more time. Thanks. Clint. <clears throat> well, it is my, my honor to be here. Um, to just come and minister again here at Forward Church. I don't even remember. I was trying to do the math in my head, but I think it's eight or nine years ago we connected. And I've been at Forward a few times since our first meeting. And I have always appreciated Clint's ministry as a pastor um, who is carrying this message of God's amazing grace. I've traveled, you know, pretty extensively throughout my uh, ministry career. My husband, my late husband, and I went into ministry right after we got married in 1984. And I traveled and preached with him for about 26 years before he went on to heaven. And then after that, I uh, was an associate pastor for a couple of years. And then I pastored my own church in Tulsa for a couple of years before I moved and got myself grounded in Northwest Arkansas. So I'm living out in the country right now, and I'm living my best life, (laughs) and I love it. But um, so this morning, I'm going to share with you some things that are, like Clint said, are extremely practical, okay? I'm, I'm a believer in making this message as simple as possible so even the youngest believer among us can say, I can do that. You know, I don't, I don't want to come in with such a deep revelation that 95% of the people are walking out saying, I have no idea what she said. And the other 5% say, wow, that was deep. 
<laughs> that doesn't benefit anybody, right? So what I'm going to share this morning, I'm going, to, I'm going to use a lot of scripture because I believe that the word of God is the foundation, okay, for the beliefs of our hearts, should be anyways. And then I'm going to share some of my testimony. So we're going to start today in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and you can put that right up on the screen there for you. This is what Paul said. He said, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, that is not an unfamiliar scripture to those of you that are here, been a part of Forward you know, Church, or those of you online. You know all about these promises of God. And I'm going to read it to you in one more translation, just because there's one thing I really love with this uh, translation in the Message Bible. It says, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In him, this is what we preach and pray, the great amen. Yes, God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. So I love that phrase that whatever God has promised, it gets stamped with what? The yes of Jesus. So when we think about the promises of God, we think about things that God promises to us can be a part of our reality. Now, if you're like me and you've gone through Clint's book, what is it, 3,000 Promises? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. There's a lot of promises there, right, that, that belong to us in Jesus. But for the most part, we as believers are usually struggling in one or two areas. Sometimes, you know, a half dozen things in our life that we're looking at the Word of God and we're saying, this is what God says should be my reality, but this is the reality I'm living in. And today I want to talk about the space between the realization that this is a promise that God has given to me and this is the manifestation and what it looks like when I'm walking in it. Because that's where most believers struggle, okay, is that space between. So what do you and I do, right, in that space between? The realization that this is a promise that God has made to me, but this is the reality that I'm living in today, and it looks nothing like this promise over here. God's already said yes, okay, to all of his promises, and we're never waiting on him, right? We're never waiting on God to do something for a promise to be manifest in our lives because he said yes. So it's our yes that gets added to his yes that brings this manifestation into our individual lives. So every moment, okay, from the time that you're awakened to a promise of God until that time you walk into that reality, that is the space between, all right? And it's that space between that gets most people in trouble, right? It's where people get tripped up. It's, it's in that space between that people question the character of God. It's in that space between that people say these things, whether they say them out loud or they say them in their heart, they will say things like, why did God allow this? Why did God do this to me? Why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God stop that person, right? It's that space between that brings us into this place to, to question the nature and character of God, which is why it's vitally important that you have your heart established 
in new covenant reality. Okay, this is why ministers like Clint and myself talk so much and and believe so strongly in you as the believer getting your mind renewed to the word of God. Because we know that God's never trying to figure out what he wants to give to you based on your performance or whether you're good enough or nice enough or big enough giver or, you know, if you're taking care of your body the way you should. God's not over here, you know, looking at you and I saying, I've got to decide whether or not I want to bless this person. God has already said yes to the promises. Okay, so it's our response to that that's going to determine the degree that we live in that promise in our world. Can you say amen? amen. What, what else happens in that space between? People say things like, well, you know, God's in control. You know, I see this promise, you know, healing belongs to me, but God's in control. Well, no, God's not in control. Okay, let's just, let's just settle that here. Now, I'm sure y'all have heard your pastor tell you God's not in control. Now, God is sovereign, but in God's sovereignty, he gave choices to us. <laughs> Deuteronomy 30, 19, God said, I set before you this day blessing and cursing, life and death. You choose life, okay? And so the choice is ours whether or not we're going to believe and walk in the promises of God. People say things in the space between like, well, you know, it's all in God's timing. Okay, well, if you see a scripture that promises healing to you and 15 years later, you're still not walking in that and you're saying it's all in God's timing. Basically, you're saying God wanted me sick for 15 years. And that is not the nature and character of God. Okay, all right. Um, We say things like, well, you know, I guess God's teaching me something now through this whatever it is you're going through. Through my struggle, God's teaching me something. Well, I I will tell you that the Holy Spirit will use every moment in every day to teach you, okay? But he didn't need some kind of tragic situation to happen in your life, okay, so that he could teach you something. He is going to be your teacher all the time because that is who he is, okay? Jesus is your shepherd. He's wanting to lead you all the time. The question is, are you following your shepherd? Okay, I know these are, these are some strong statements I'm making at the beginning, but there's a reason I want to set this foundation for what I'm going to share today because I want you guys to, to walk out of here today saying that Wherever I am in my life, whatever circumstances that I'm facing today, whether I'm facing a relational, you know, challenge, a financial challenge, a health challenge, God has already said the promise of freedom is mine. And all I have to do is set myself in agreement with him and begin to do the right things in the space between. Okay? Somebody say amen. The other thing that we tend to do in that space between is we tend to find fault with ourselves and we disqualify ourselves from the promises of God because we say, you know what, I should have known better. I shouldn't have done this or I wouldn't be here or I should have done that or I would be there, right? We disqualify ourselves and here's what I want to tell you, that you are qualified because of Jesus. Okay, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read a couple of verses here. 
verses 1 through 4. Peter is writing to the church, and this is what he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given unto us. Everybody say, has given. So that's not something he's going to do someday. It's something he's already done, right? If he hath given, has given, it's past tense. So he has given to us, say to me. To me. Okay. What has he given to you? All things that pertain to life and godliness. That's pretty inclusive. <laughs> God's given you everything you need for life. What kind of life? The Zoe life? The quality of life that God's enjoying, he wants to share with you. The quality of life Jesus purchased for you, okay? The, the quality of life he died to give you, that life has already been given to you. And godliness, it's already been given to you, all right? And, but this is how it comes. He says, it's through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us, what has been given to us? Exceedingly great and precious promises. You know, when I look at some of the promises of God and, and in my walk with Jesus, especially over the last 10 years of my life, some of those promises to me even looked like, mm, I don't know if I'll ever live in that reality because the reality I was living in, they made those promises look pretty special. <laughs> they looked precious, but I didn't see for a long time that I could lay hold of those and bring them into my life, into my reality. But today, I want you to know that all the promises of God in Christ are still yes and amen. Yeah. Okay? So he said, through these, that you could be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So Grace and peace, he started out by saying, those are two components needed for the space between, okay? Grace is simply, you know, um, I look at grace as God's ability to do in me what I can't do on my own, okay? That's just a simple definition of grace. I mean, we can, we can expound on it, and we could talk about grace for a couple of hours today and still not scratch the surface of what it is. But I mean, just bringing it down to, what is Peter saying here? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. You need grace. You need peace in your life. Grace is just recognizing that any promise that I'm looking at, that I'm saying I want to be a partaker of this, it's going to come to me. It's going to come to you through God's ability working in you. It's not your ability. It's not how smart you are. I mean, you know, Clint's a pretty smart guy. I'm not as smart as he is. Okay, but I don't rely on my intellect and my smartness and everything to do what I need to do. I mean, I have, I'm, a, I'm a heart physics coach. And for those of you that are connected with Jim Richards Ministry, you know, he has, a, you know, heart physics programs and he has individuals that have gone through certification to get to be a heart physics coach. And that's one thing that I do um, to, you know, minister to people right now. And I have clients that I talk to, some on a weekly basis, some bi-weekly, some monthly. And before, you know, I get on the phone with a client, I don't know what they're going through. 
I don't have access to everything that's happening in their life. You know, in the last seven days, since the last time I talked to them, there's all kinds of things that could have happened in their lives. Some good, some not so good. But I rely on the person of the Holy Spirit. I, do, I rely on Jesus, okay? I, I rely on that connection that I have with God to be able to connect with somebody else in their heart. So I don't just rely on an education that I've gotten, that when somebody comes to you with this problem, this is the solution that you give them. Everybody's unique. Everybody is individually dealing with things based on where they've come from and what's going on in their life. So without God at work in me, I'd be at a loss to know how to help people. So I'm always leaning on the grace of God. I'm always leaning on the grace of God being God's ability to do through me what I cannot do on my own, okay? And he also says, you know, um, grace and peace. Okay, be multiplied to you. Peace is a component that you and I need to learn how to function in during that space between. Because all hell can be breaking loose around you. And when you've got a promise of God that you're standing on, you need to know how to connect to the peace of God within you. You know, think about Jesus on the boat, right, with the disciples. And, and he said, he spoke a word. He said, let's go to the other side, right? So he saw the end from the beginning. He saw we're going to go to the other side. And then what did he do? He laid his head on a pillow and he went to sleep. Well, when the storm came up, the disciples forgot about the end result. They forgot about the word that was spoken. They forgot about the promise of God that Jesus had already said yes to. And instead of standing up and looking at that storm and saying among themselves, this cannot change what God has spoken. We are choosing to believe that we will get to the other side. They became afraid. And they actually thought they were going to die. And when they woke Jesus up from his sound sleep, they said, don't you care that we're going to perish? I mean, that's kind of dramatic, right? Why didn't Jesus worry? Why wasn't he awakened by it? Because he had peace, right? Well, guess who lives on the inside of you? The Prince of Peace. Now, I know when you're in the middle of a storm, it's a lot harder to walk in that peace than I'm making it sound today, okay? But here's what I want to tell you. With a little bit of diligence an application of the word of God in your life and, a, and a, uh, a tenacity, okay? What did you call it this morning? A conviction, right? A conviction to, I won't be denied. You can find peace in the midst of a storm. Amen. You can't. It is available to each and every one of us. I'm not somebody special that God decided to just help through the storm, <laughs> okay? And, and I went through some really rocky stuff, okay, in, in the last 10 years of my life. But I can tell you today, I'm at a great place. I'm at a place in my life right now, I told Clinton Sarah yesterday, I've said I'm probably the most stable emotionally I have ever been in my life. And, and when people ask me sometimes, well, how do you personally deal with fear or this or that, or anxiety or whatever, I'm like, hmm. Let me see if I can remember. That's my reality. Why? Because my heart 
has become so established in my in Christ realities that I have a hard time even remembering that person that used to function in lack, believing that I need God to do something for me to get me through. Now my mindset is I have him in me. He and I together are making this journey. Amen? Amen. From the moment a promise is seen in the word of God until that it has come into manifestation in your life, there is an element of faith involved. And, and faith is just simply believing the truth of God's word. I mean, let's, again, I like to make it as simple as possible. Let's not complicate what faith is. And you say, well, I don't know if I have enough faith. You do because the word says that you've already been given the measure of faith. So whatever measure you need for whatever you're going through, it's already yours. Just say that out loud. Faith is mine now. See, I think sometimes we, we get it in our heads that we've got to struggle, right? I've got to build my faith. And, and we put all of our emphasis and all of our energies into building, 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 building. And we forget that we are in the relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of faith and patience already belongs to them. And if it's theirs, it's ours. Like sometimes I just will say, you know what, Jesus, you've got the faith for this, so I'm just going to lean on that right now. I'm leaning on you, right? I lean on him. I, I become a partaker, right, that Peter was talking about, of that divine nature. That's, that's what we do. So one thing I, I want to say is that faith doesn't always need a lifetime to grow, okay? Sometimes that faith it can go into your heart and you are ready for an instant manifestation. Okay. We're the ones who bring in the element of doubt and unbelief that hinder faith from working in our lives. But sometimes there is just somebody can say something to you and say, listen, listen, I know this is the will of God for your life and he wants you to receive right now. And sometimes somebody speaking out a word with that kind of assurance to you will cause your heart to say, well, by golly, if he says it's mine and it's mine now, I'm just going to take it now. Why pray now and get it later? Why not just receive it now? You know, we have to, we have to begin to adjust our thinking to getting our heart in harmony with who God is. And God is the God of the now. Okay? He saves now. He heals now. He delivers now. That is his nature. We're the ones who put it off till someday. Someday I'll, I'll get this healing. Someday I'll see this restoration. Someday I'll get out of debt. Okay? We're the ones who put it off into the someday. Right? So what are you doing with that space between? We need to believe that everything we need for life has already been given to us and that we're not trying to get God to give us something. I don't need a special something from God to experience the promises of God. I'm a pretty ordinary person. I live a pretty ordinary life, okay? And, and I don't think of myself as this extraordinary woman of faith. 
But when you start to hear my testimony of things that have happened in my life, you could almost put that in a category like, man, that woman has got such incredible faith that she went from there to here. But here's the thing. That space between was just like you and I all experience. It's a day at a time. It's a step at a time. And I took steps to get from the realization that this is a promise of God that belongs to me in Jesus to this place of this is now my life. This is my reality. All we really need, you and I, is Jesus. And I know that sounds so cliche, doesn't it? All you need is Jesus. I can remember when my husband was first, you know, when he first went to heaven and I was a single woman, I hated being single. I hated it, okay? I, I hated everything about it. I hated getting up in the morning alone. I hated going to bed at night alone. And I hated every hour in between. I didn't like doing anything alone. I had, I had enjoyed being married. So that was a, a time of my life that I didn't want people saying to me, all you need is Jesus. I can remember telling people, well, you know what I'd like? I'd like Jesus with skin on. <laughs> because in my heart, in my mind, in my life, I thought being happy is equated to being married. And I'm no longer married. We were one flesh union, and half of my one flesh union went to heaven. And now I'm a half looking for another half to make me whole. Oh, boy, can that get you in trouble? Okay. That sense of lack drove me with an obsession to get married. Well, I'm, I'm way past that now. I am happily single. I know you probably never thought you'd hear me say that, right? <laughs> Clint and Sarah knew me when, OK? They knew me when that was the driving force behind so many of my decisions. But I didn't like people saying, all you need is Jesus, because I didn't see Jesus as somebody that could fulfill the deep desires of my heart because I wanted to be married more than anything else. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's turn to Romans 5. I want you to look at this scripture, Romans 5, 17. This, this is what Paul said. He said, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive, everybody say receive, Okay. They receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So receiving the grace of God and the gift of righteousness enables the believer to reign in this life. That's what enables you, receiving the gift of righteousness, okay, receiving this grace of God. His righteousness is your qualifier for all the promises of God. That's it. How am I qualified for the promise? His righteousness. Nothing more. Nothing more than his righteousness. Walking in the promises of God is never dependent on what you do. It's always contingent upon what Jesus did. I know those of us that, that preach this message of grace, we hammer on the fact that everything has to be passed through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay? Why? 
because it is through his death, his burial, and his resurrection that you've been made righteous. And you're being made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is your only qualifier to be able to receive and walk in the promises of God. God is not withholding any good thing from any of us. He didn't withhold Jesus, so he's not going to withhold finances. He didn't hold back Jesus, so he's not going to hold back your healing. Okay? He's not. That's not who he is. His righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus is your qualifier. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet God, everybody say, yet God. (laughs) In his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. So God decided, okay, you didn't decide this. God decided through the sacrifice of Jesus to make us right in his sight. Now, that's God's reality. In God's reality, you're all qualified. But do you see yourself as righteous? How do you see yourself? When you think about your life, can you say with the surety, I'm righteous? Or do you immediately think about what you said and what you did? And you think in your mind, that disqualifies me. I I was righteous two days ago, but yesterday I blew it. Your behavior, your actions, your thoughts, okay, do not change your status of being righteous. It might change your perception of yourself, okay, which could then keep you and hinder you from moving towards God when you feel disqualified. You know, John said this. I don't have this in my notes, but John said this. He said, you know, beloved, If our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence towards God. And we know then whatever the petitions that we offer before God, we have those. Well, that condemnation is not God condemning us. It's your own heart. So if your heart condemns you, guess what? You won't have confidence towards God. It's not that God doesn't have confidence in you. He already has decided the promise belongs to you. So it's this struggle that we have internally. Can I have my heart established in the truth that I am who God says that I am, that I can have what God says that I can have, and that I can do what God says I can do? Amen. Okay? That's where, we, that's where we're struggling, right? Can we put this thought out of our mind that it's what I'm doing or not doing that qualifies me? Because if I can get you to believe today that Jesus is your qualifier for all the promises of God, you can go home this afternoon, start to look up these promises and say, all right, this one, I'm taking it. It's mine. This one, I'm taking it. It's mine. This one, I haven't thought this one was mine, but it is, and I'm taking it. And systematically, you can begin to persuade your own heart that this belongs to me in Jesus and I will not be denied. So in that space between, that's where the battle rages, okay? It's in your mind. It's not between you and the devil, right? Do we know that here? Okay, good. So I won't spend any time on that, okay? It's not between you and the devil. Oh, maybe we should, okay. But here... 
we should know that. Yes, we should know that because the, it, it's, it's the thoughts of the mind that determine the beliefs of the heart. Like, your mind is like, you know, your thoughts are the doorkeeper to the heart. Whatever you're letting in through your thoughts is going to get into your heart. And what are you, whatever you're believing on a heart level becomes the foundation for how you live your life. All your decisions that you make day in and day out are based on the belief of your heart. When I believed in my heart that I was a widow who lost her half, and that I was a half of a person looking for another half to make me whole, that belief of my heart drove my behavior. Okay? And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting married after you lose a spouse. Don't get me wrong. But what I was functioning from was a place of feeling lack. I'm without something that I need. And until I get that need met, I am not going to be complete. I'm getting ahead of myself here. So we've got this battle, and it's between what you thought before you found the promise of God and accepted that it belongs to you in Jesus and, and what evidence is being presented to your own heart. So here's, here's where I'm going to pick up and kind of share some of my story. In... 2009, my husband, Angela, and I, we were, we were on our way to uprooting our lives and our family in Oklahoma, and we were going to move to Greece. We had done a, about a year and a half, almost two-year, short-term missions trip over in Greece. He was Greek and born and raised in Greece and came to America and got saved and, you know, got in the ministry and everything, but he wanted to go back and uh, retire Okay, in Greece. So we were in the process of making that move. And towards the end of 2009, he made a trip over there to decide what town we were going to live in. And he got sick and came back and took a couple of months before we got everything diagnosed. And in uh, January of 2010, he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And he went through about a year of treatment and then said, I'm done with this, and said his goodbyes to his family and went to heaven. So when he did that, my whole life was turned upside down. Everything that I thought we were going to do now, live our lives together and you know, make a home in Greece and come back to the United States to itinerate and see our kids and all that, everything, everything in my life changed. And all I could think of for that first year was, I am an incomplete person. I'm not complete anymore. I don't have, I don't have my other half, you know. I don't, I don't have the one making decisions and I'm following. You know, he was the leader in the ministry. We had ministry together, but he was the one who usually decided where we would go and how long we'd minister and all that kind of stuff. So I felt incomplete. And it was a couple of years into my being alone that I crossed paths with uh, Jim Richards and was introduced to his ministry and began to glean from his teachings and began to understand and process in my own heart what it meant to lay hold of the gospel of peace and live from a place of a heart 
that is in harmony with God. Okay, and and this has been this has been my journey now for the last few years. And one of the first things that I was challenged with was this belief of my heart that I would not be complete until I remarried. That was a belief of my heart. And I'll never forget one day I was reading through the scriptures. You can put Colossians 2, 9, and 10 up there. I was reading through the scriptures, and I came across this scripture, and this is what Paul said. He said, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So, because that's true, you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now, I remember when I read that, I thought, well, yeah, I know Paul believes that's true about him. <laughs> I, 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 believe, I believe the word of God. That's a true statement. Right. And I believed even that the church he wrote to in Colossae, that he was telling those people that they were complete. But in my life, in my heart, at that moment in time, I had zero belief that that was my reality. I didn't believe. I didn't believe I was complete. I didn't believe I was lacking nothing. I believed that I was a half looking for another half to make me whole. But here's what I did. I, I learned at that point in time, I had heard Jim talk enough about heart work. I had gotten several of his you know, uh, teachings and listened to him and learned something about biblical meditation that you take a scripture like this and make it a declaration that's first person, present tense, positive. So I took this scripture and I combined it with Psalm 23 and I wrote down this declaration. I am complete in Christ and I am lacking nothing. And that's what I decided that I was going to believe was true about me in Jesus in spite of everything I felt and everything that was going on in my external world. So I started this journey of persuading my heart and giving my heart this evidence. And I just took some of the tools that he gave us, you know, write those out in longhand at night, you know, 15 minutes before you go to bed. Write it out in longhand. I am complete in Christ and I am lacking nothing. And he said, you know, write it right before you go to bed and then your subconscious is going to be thinking of this while you're sleeping. And when you get up in the morning, read that statement aloud. And as you think about it during the day, you know, just meditate on it, chew on it, mutter it, you know, just the meditative process. And I'll never forget when I started this process and I wrote it down, I am complete in Christ and I am lacking nothing. My heart said to me, you are such a liar. You're such a liar. You know you don't believe that. You know you don't believe you're complete in Christ. You're thinking about the next person that you're hoping is going to come along that you can date. That was, that was my heart. And I remember saying to my heart, okay, I know where I've been and I know where I am today, but I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to keep giving you this evidence. See, the evidence my heart had up until that point was every conversation that I had ever had with anybody, every conversation I had with myself saying, I want to get married more than anything else. I persuaded my heart. That's what I wanted. So guess what my heart did? Led me in that direction. Okay? I was attracting things to myself that my heart believed I wanted. So here I'm putting the brakes on my heart. And I'm saying, uh-uh, we're not going there. I'm not living here. 
I'm not going to live here. I'm going to live in the place where I'm complete in Christ and I'm lacking nothing. Well, I did that every day for weeks and weeks without any real change in the way I felt. But I decided I wasn't going to go by my feelings. I decided that I was going to give my heart evidence daily, 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 of what the Word of God says. I'm complete in Christ. I'm lacking nothing. My heart would say, you're a liar. You know that's not true. Well, guess what? I'm complete in Christ, and I'm lacking nothing. It was, it was the work. I did the labor then. I'm in the rest now. I'm at perfect peace. I'm at rest. I don't care if I ever get married again. I'm a happy camper right where I'm at. I don't rule it out, but I'm not obsessed. Okay? Do you see the difference? I'm a lot calmer now, aren't I? I'm telling you. It's like emotionally, I'm stable. I'm not looking for somebody to make me happy. Somebody make me happy. Somebody tell me I'm pretty. You know, the other day, I... Um, I've got these great lashes. Y'all love my lashes? Okay. Well, they're not mine. I have short, little, stubby, light, <laughs> sparse lashes. So, so I, I've got these, you know, lashes. In. And so I'm in a Facebook group for other ladies that have lashes. And so they're all, oh, I'm not kidding you. Lashify. Go ahead. Look it up. Anyways, and I don't get commissioned, so don't ask me about that. But... Um, but everybody's always posting these, you know, selfies that they take and how beautiful their lashes are. And I thought, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been doing this for like a year and I've never, but I use like short, like I buy the shortest lashes, right? And so, but I'm always seeing people, you know, put up these F19s or 18s that they're wearing, right? And they're like big and bold. And I thought, you know, I'm 64 years old. I wear these little sparse eights. I'm just going to put up a picture. I might encourage some older women, right? And so I did. I got like 500 responses. Like, you are so beautiful. I can't believe you're 64. I love your lashes. Go, girl. Like, all that. I told my daughter, I said, you know what I'm doing? I am saving that Facebook post. <laughs> and if ever I need somebody to say something to me to make me feel good, I'm just going to open it up and read it. Oh, I'm beautiful. Look at you. You look great for 64. Like, because I don't have a man to tell me that, right? I, I don't have that all the time. And, and that was one of my feelings of lack, okay? So I had to find a way to connect with the God on the inside of me, with the Jesus on the inside of me who wanted to be my everything, right? Who wasn't at that point in time, but I wanted to bring him into my life to experience that with him. And guess what? He did. I'll never forget one day the Lord spoke to me and he said, and this was based on, you know, things that I hear from Jim Richards teaching and everything, you know. It, when, when you're believing a promise of God, you know, you want to ask yourself, you know, what would I look like? What would I feel like? And how would the quality of my life be different if I really believed that this was true about me? So the Lord asked me one day, what, what would you do different today if you really believed that you were complete in me and you were lacking nothing? Well, I had just broken up with a guy I'd been dating and because I loved to cook for him and we watched Hallmark movies together, like probably for, I don't know, a week to 10 days. I hadn't watched one Hallmark movie and I hadn't even cooked. I was, I was drinking two protein shakes a day to survive because I was like depressed. Like I don't have anybody to cook for. I didn't think about cooking for myself, right? I don't have anybody to cook for. So 
I said to Jesus, well, if I really believed I was complete in you and I was lacking nothing, I'd go to the store, I'd buy that filet mignon, I'd get some veggies, I'd, I'd get some strawberries and blueberries for dessert, I'd make myself, you know, I'd grill those steaks and those vegetables, and I'd sit down in the living room, and I'd watch a Hallmark movie all by myself. That was a conversation I had with Jesus, and it was like silent, silent, and I just felt like he was saying, I dare you. I dare you to do it, and I thought, oh, you don't dare me, like... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So I, I did. I went to the store. I bought my steaks. I came home. I'm marinating my steaks and marinating my vegetables and getting it all ready. And I cook it, and I bring it into the living room, and I'm like, Hallmark, I'm back. <laughs> Found one of the movies. I sat there while I'm eating. I'm watching the Hallmark movie. I got done eating, and I hit the pause button. I was like, wow, this feels good. I didn't need a man to enjoy this meal. I didn't need a man to watch this movie. Like, this was, this was huge for me. You know, for those of you that are happily married and you got your spouse and you're like, what is she talking about? Trust me, there are people out there this will help today. Okay. So I just, the next, I don't know if it was the next day or a couple of days later, I was over at my friend's house and I was telling them about this experience. And, and I said to one of them, and I said, and you know what? Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm complete in Christ and I am lacking nothing. And that gal put her hand up like, high five me. And I did. And at that moment, something internally changed. It's like, that switch changed. It's like it had been turned off, and now it's turned on. And from that day until today, I've been living in that reality. I don't have to persuade my heart anymore. I'm complete in Christ and lacking nothing. My heart believes it, like 100%. Like, I don't need anything to be added to my life to feel like I'm complete. I am complete in him, all right? Next challenge was after my husband passed away because I was obsessed with thinking I had to get married, six months after my husband had passed away, while my daughters were, my younger two daughters who had been living with me were in Arkansas visiting their daughters, I I decided I was going to date. Well, that didn't go over very well with my family, just FYI, okay? Now, I won't get into all the details about it, but let's just, let's, let me sum it up at this. For the next five years of my life, I was basically estranged from my own children, my four daughters. They just didn't get it, okay? And because I was so driven and obsessed with it, I thought, it's not up to you to get it. God wants me happy. If this is what's going to make me happy, by golly, I'm going, I'm going there. Well, I caused so much strife and division in my family by some of the decisions that I made that my girls, just because of the, the state of their own heart and not being able to process really losing their dad and watching their mom move on in life, they had just decided... The safe place for them was removed from me, okay? Not just physically removed because they had moved to another state, but I'm talking about emotionally. I'm talking about being connected with me, just, you know, we're going we're gonna to get together for a meal. We're going to, you know, do something here or do something there. Um, it was like mom, you know, especially like towards the end of that five years, it was like, we just can't. 
we just can't. So what did I do? I got depressed. I was, I was living a life where on the outside, if you looked at me, you thought, oh, she's, she's great. I have what I would identify as low-level depression. It was right beneath the surface. I didn't stay in bed all day. I was pastoring. I was, I was ministering to other people, but internally, I was grieving, not just over my husband who had gone to heaven because I had already kind of reconciled in my own heart. He's in a better place. He's not suffering, you know? He's okay. I'm the one who's having to deal with all of this stuff in life, right? And in the midst of that, I had a friend who was also in ministry but who was a wonderful wife and mother and grandmother. She came to me one day and she said, Christy, I just believe the Lord wants me to give you this scripture. Let's put this scripture up on the screen. Next one. Proverbs 31, 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, do you want to know where I was in that being my reality? At a zero. That was not my reality at all. And in fact, at that point in time, when she had given me that scripture saying, I believe the Lord wants you to hold on to this promise, I thank you. And internally, I'm thinking, I hate you. <laughs> Everybody loves you. You're such a great wife, such a great mother, such a great grandmother. My kids won't even speak to me. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I won't even tell you what else I thought. But anyways. <laughs> Wanting to put something somewhere it doesn't belong, right? Okay. I just, I, I was a little agitated. I thought, why would God give somebody a scripture like that for me? I had gotten to the place where I was really trying to imagine, using my imagination, using biblical meditation, thinking about what my life would look like if I just acted like I didn't have kids. Could I survive a life where maybe I'll marry somebody that'll have kids and they'll like me. That was my reality. So I started that journey of my heart with this huge space between that promise of God that I had zero evidence it would ever happen to me to the manifestation that I'm walking in today. Now, it took a few years, okay? It didn't happen overnight. But I took that scripture and I said, God, this is, this is the reality I'm choosing. I'm choosing to believe that someday there will be restoration in our family, that someday my children will be able to rise up and call me blessed. Now, my first meditation I did with Jesus in this scripture, I said, okay, I'm just going to be honest with you, Jesus. For me to imagine my children calling me blessed, I can only imagine that when they die, and they go to heaven, and you sit them down, and you say, why did you do this to your mom? Apologize to her. They'll look at me and say, oh, yeah, mom, you really were a blessing. Like, that's where I started. I, I mean, that was my honest conversation. I said, I can't even imagine it. I, I can't, because we had had so many years of being estranged that the whole idea of reconciliation and restoration to our family looked impossible. But... I took the principles of biblical meditation, things that I learned about using my imagination, and began to take this scripture 
and say, if I believed this was true today, like, what would I look like and what, what I feel like if my children just said something nice about me? And I created a movie in my mind, OK? I did. I closed my eyes, and I said, OK, I'm just going to pretend I'm in their kitchen. And my girls are all sitting around. And I, get, I mean, I'm the writer. I'm the director. I get to choose the actors and the whole thing. So I, I put my, my girls in this scenario, and I, I just imagined one of them saying, do you remember when mom was homeschooling us? How She was the best homeschool mom, wasn't she? And I just heard my other daughters chiming in saying, yes, yes, she was so much fun. And I was like, oh, I could, I could feel then a little bit of joy in my heart. See, I'm bringing something into my heart so I can experience some emotions, okay? Because one of the things that I had been taught was that we take information, combine it with an emotion, and that's what writes something on our heart. So I had taken all kinds of bad information, emails, texts, conversations from my girl saying, nah, I don't think we're gonna be able to work this out, right? I had taken those and combined it with sadness and fear and depression. And I, that had written things on my heart that had said, this will never be your reality. So I had to give my heart something different. I had to exchange all these wrong beliefs with the truth. But I had like pages and pages and pages on my heart of all the wrong stuff. So it took a while to rewrite on my heart the truth. So, so that day I began to imagine and, and I just okay, I'm the director, I'm the writer, what do I want the script to say? Hmm. I imagine one of my girls saying, do you remember that day when we were reading that book about that mom and those kids and the mom in the book was making biscuits? And remember how mom just took that book and said, we're going to stop right here. We're going downstairs and we're going to make biscuits. Remember how mom took that whipping cream and put it in that mason jar and had us shake it up and we made butter for our biscuits? And I'm hearing the girl say, yeah, yeah, wasn't that fun? Gosh, she was the best. I'm imagining it. That's not my reality. My reality was I had text and email saying, please don't contact us anymore. Wow. This, is, this is not going to work. You're just too different. That was my reality. I chose to believe the promise of God in Proverbs 31, 28 was God's word to me. It belonged to me. I was going to experience that reality. But I had to first persuade my heart and give my heart evidence that I believed the word of God. So during that period of time, okay, as I began to move towards that reality I wanted to live in, I had opportunities to respond to different things that were happening. And I'll never forget one day as I was confessing that word, meditating on that word, thinking about that promise of God, that the Lord said to me, are you the kind of mom your kids could rise up and call blessed? Wow. Now, that wasn't condemnation, okay? That was the gentleness and kindness of God speaking to my heart to help me see something that maybe I needed to deal with in my own heart 
And I began to think back on the decisions that I made from the day that my husband had passed away and how I dealt with things. I mean, you know, I should have known when they kind of came unglued and I painted the walls in our bedroom green and got a new comforter and that turned their world upside down that they maybe weren't ready for me to make some of the other big decisions I made, right? I was bringing change to our world. They weren't ready for that. But I didn't, I didn't connect with that. So what did I do? I had long conversations with Jesus, and I said, you know what? If I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now, that I'm completing Christ and I'm lacking nothing, I would have done this. And I began to put myself in that position of what would I do now if I could be that mom all over again? And I don't know how to explain how this meditative process works because some of it is just deeper than I have words for. But I'm going to tell you that when you begin to connect with God in your heart and you begin to say, this is what I did, this is what I thought, this is what I believed, but if I could do things over, here's where I wished I had leaned into you, Jesus. Here's where, you know, when my older sister said, hey, if I could give you any advice at all, because she had lost her husband when her two kids were about the same age as my two girls were, if you could just wait till they get out of high school to date, it would really help. I didn't listen to that. I ignored her. So I repented, and I said, God, you were trying to get something to me, and I didn't respond. But you know what? If I could do that all over again, I think I would wait. I think I would do this. I think, I, you know, and, and that's not in a remorseful, regretful way. It's, it's just in adjusting things in your heart. Because what I was saying to my heart was, if you had really known who you were in Christ, you would not have acted like that. If you had believed you were complete in Christ, if you had believed this about you, that you had everything that you needed in Jesus, you could have gone in a different direction. That's what I was giving my heart evidence of. So I began to connect with the God that lived on the inside of me. And several years ago, when my oldest daughter got pregnant, she, when she found out she was going to have a girl, she said to herself, I can't have a girl and not have my mom in my life. That was something that she said in her own heart. So guess what? She moved towards me for reconciliation and restoration. Now, as she did, it wasn't automatic that the other ones did. They, they, had to, they had to process in their own heart whether or not they believed I was going to be a safe person. Now, I know that sounds crazy. I'm their mom. How could I not be a safe person? But you know, when you injure somebody's heart by your actions, sometimes people put up a wall to protect themselves. And that's what they did. And I had to respect that. And, and in this journey of restoration, one of the things that I did... I mean, I had contemplated moving here to Georgia. I had, a, I had an offer to go be an associate pastor in a church in Tennessee. Um, my stepson, he and his wife lived in uh, the Carolinas, and I thought about moving there. I mean, I thought about, you know, all kinds of scenarios that would bring some kind of healing to my heart, give me some, some reason to live besides my kids. But... When my daughter had the baby, I'll never forget, she, she said, you know, you can, I want you to come and see the baby. I wasn't, you know, wasn't at the birth, but a couple of days after, I drove there and drove to Arkansas from Tulsa where I was living. It was about a two-hour drive, and, 
as I got there and I held this baby, I thought, oh, the thought of moving away from them. I just don't know if that's what I want to do. And I went back, and crazy thing was I, I felt like the Lord said, you know, put your house on the market, step down from the church. And really, in some ways, because everything wasn't okay in my family, I thought, Prince Charmin's coming on his white horse, and he's going to sweep me away, and that's why I need to sell my house, and that's why I'm not going to be at the church anymore. So I made those decisions and followed that leading of my heart. But when I went back for the second visit, all the way there, I was praying in the spirit, and I kept feeling like God was saying to me, you're going to end up in Arkansas. And I thought, they don't want me. They don't want me there. But I just kept feeling it so strongly. So when I got there, one of my daughters who had decided that she was going to come and hang out with us that day, said to me, so I heard you got an offer on your house and you're going to close in, what, 30 days? I said, yeah, less than that now. And she said, where are you going to go? And I said, well, i got a few options. I could go to this church in Georgia and kind of travel out of there, or I've got an associate pastor's you know, invitation to a church in Tennessee. And then I looked at her, and I looked at her older sister, who's the mom of the baby, and I said, or I could move to Arkansas. And at that moment, it was like, I'm waiting. (laughs) What's going to be said? And my younger daughter looked at my older daughter and kind of had this twinkle in her eye, and I said, what? And she said, well, Brian, who was the baby's mom, Alicia's, you know, baby's dad, Alicia's um, husband, he said, Alicia said, Two weeks ago, he said, your mom's going to end up moving to Arkansas. I said, well, how do y'all feel about that? And Alicia said, sounds good to me. Kat says, makes sense to me. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up moving to the city. Now, everything wasn't as it should be. I had to work through some things. I had to, I had to gain trust. I had to, I had to let go of this need that I had to try to make things get back to normal. You know, I kind of had the Gilmore Girls syndrome in my head. You know, oh, you know, I'm going to be real good friends with my <laughs> my daughters, and they're going to come over, and we're going to eat and watch TV and everything. Well, that didn't happen like the first year. I had dinners. They came over. They would eat, but then bye bye. You know. And things weren't always good, you know. It, it was it was a it was a journey for all of us to learn how to experience restoration and healing in our heart. But today, I'll just fast forward. Today, I live next door to my daughter and her husband and my two grandkids. I live on their property. I live on the house that they built that they lived in for the two years while they were building their dream home, and now I live in that house. And I get to watch these grandkids, and I cook for my family. I told Alicia and Brian the other day, I said, you want to know one reason why I think I don't care if I get married again? And they said, why? I said, because I get to cook for y'all three times a week. I get to. Now, I know not every woman's at that place, so men, if you are married to a woman who doesn't want to cook, please don't hold this against her. (laughs) I just love it. Like, I love, I mean, I'm the person that sends texts out. Does anybody need anything at Walmart or Aldi's while I'm out? They're like, yeah. I get all these little text messages from my friends. Why? From my girls. Why? Because they don't like to shop. I don't mind shopping. I don't mind cooking. I love it. 
So I'm in this place now where that scripture that I had zero belief that it was going to ever be my reality is now my reality I'm living in. Okay? We got time for one more short one? Okay. Another. Like watching a movie. It, yeah. Yeah. It, and isn't it amazing? Yeah. I mean, it really is. And, and I'm telling you, I am not super faith woman either. I mean, I just took basic principles of heart work and meditation and applied them to my life and said I won't be denied. So a couple of years ago, I, um, I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I love the shopping. I like decorating my tree. My, my, you know, my ornaments on my tree coordinate with my wrapping paper. I make big bows for everything. I mean, like, I'm that person. And I love giving gifts. I love, like, figuring out, like, something that you didn't expect, but I'm going to get it to you. And on Christmas, you're going to like, ah. So one year, my daughter tells me before Christmas, she goes, Mom, whatever you do this year, please don't put anything on credit card. And I'm like, why did she say that? And I said, okay. And she goes, promise me. And I said, okay, I promise. Well, that year I made some signs for everybody. Everybody got a sign, right? Because I'm a sign maker, wood signs. And um, so they all got a sign and a few other things. And a couple of days after Christmas, I was over at Brian and Alicia's house, and I was a little bit bummed out. And it's like, what's, what's the matter? I was like, well, Christmas just wasn't, wasn't what I wanted it to be. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I just didn't do the gift giving that I wanted to do this year. And they're like, Mom, we got everything we need, and you know what you gave us. We loved everything, and I said, I know, but you promised. I promised you not to put anything on a credit card, and I didn't. So Brian looked at me and he said, Just how much credit card debt do you have? I'm like, I don't know exactly. <laughs> He's like, ballpark figure. Well, it was somewhere between eighteen and twenty thousand. He's like, what? What, are you kidding me? I was like, no, go look next door. I don't have things to show for it. This was groceries and gas, and when I didn't have enough money to pay rent, I wrote myself a convenience check off of a credit card. I paid for you know, a medical doctor when I had to have a mole removed. I paid for my car insurance. I mean, I've been giving him all these reasons. And he's like, why didn't you come and say something earlier? Like, we could have helped you. I'm like... Okay, well, you want to help me now? And he's like, yes, I can help you. And I said, okay. And I'm thinking, oh, what are they going to do? And he said, go get all your records. I want to see exactly how much you have. And I'm like, okay, that might take a little while. And he said, okay, well, right now let's just talk about the plan. And I was like, okay, let's talk about the plan. He goes, you need to get a job. <laughs> I'm like, Brian, I have a job. I'm a heart physics coach, and I have a sign shop. And he goes, I know, but you need to get a part-time job that you take all the money you make from the part-time job, and you throw it on your debt. That didn't sound too good to me. I'm like, I don't think I can really get a part-time job because, you know, I'm watching the kids for you a couple of days a week, and there's not like, you know, a good clump of time, you know, where, I mean, because I've got these heart physics clients, and I can't really move them up. And he goes, Alicia, what day is she watching the girls? And Alicia, and he goes, okay, we're going to free you up Monday and Tuesday. So you've got two days you can work, eight to ten hours a day on Monday or Tuesday. I'm like, okay, but, like, who's going to hire me for just two days a week? Like, where am I going to go? And I'm like, hey, I don't want to work any of these other days. I don't want to work on the weekend because I'm doing this and that and the other, but I'll work for you Monday and Tuesday. He goes, I don't know. You, 
you get with the Lord and two of y'all figure it out. <laughs> I said, I got an idea. Can I believe God for more heart physics clients? He said, believe God for whatever you want, but you're going to get a part-time job. <laughs> Can I put my signs on Etsy? Because you know all I do now is just sell to friends on Facebook and everything. He said, you can do whatever you want to do with Etsy, but you're going to get a part-time job. <laughs> okay. So I walked home. And I sat there, and I was like, okay, Jesus, I don't really know how I'm going to do this and all, but um, I'm willing Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my willing heart. I'm willing to get a part-time job to pay off my debt. So that was my declaration I was going to start with, right? And then I was like, hmm, how am I going to do this? Well, my sister was a caterer, and she lost some jobs, you know, because of, you know, the economy and everything. And so she went on care.com, and she went on there, and she put up a profile to do nanny jobs and dog walking. And I thought, well, I can babysit and walk dogs. So I did. I formed a you know, profile on care.com. Gave all my little you know, spiel of how good I could be with kids, you know, mother and you know, grandmother and all that. Work in church nurseries and all that kind of stuff closed my computer, and I felt really good about myself. And the Lord said, well, that was good, but that's not it. I was like, okay. So a few minutes later, I got a call from my daughter. And she goes, Mom, I just remembered there's this lady that used to go to our church, and she's got a cleaning business. And she told me one time, if you ever have anybody in the church that needs like a part-time job, just give me a call, and I'll, I'll get work for them. So she said, so I called her, and I told her about your situation and that you were going to pay off your credit card, but you could only work like two days a week. And she said, she can work you at her cleaning business. I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> but I had said to the Lord, I'm willing, right? right? Okay. I wanted to get out of debt. So I called the lady. We made an appointment to meet the next day. I met with her. I filled out all the paperwork while we were talking. She's like, so we have this, you know, I have my regular cleaning ladies, and then I have, like, this elite team, and the elite team, you know, in order to be on it, you have to go through drug testing. You have to have, you know, a background criminal check, and then we, you know, we run your credit report. And I was like, okay, I'm good with the first two. That last one, what are you looking for? Like, she goes, well, do you make payments? Are you behind? I go, no, 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 no. I make payments. I'm not behind on anything. I just owe a lot. That's why I got this job, right? I'm going to pay off my debt. She goes, okay, well, that's not going to matter. You know, they just want to see that you're consistent. Everything. I go, okay. So I went to work for her. My first day of work was New Year's Eve. There I was on New Year's Eve cleaning this doctor's house, and I'm on the floor, and I'm scrubbing toilets in somebody else's house. Now, I, like, cleaning was not my thing. Like, I don't like, oh, I love to clean. Like, you come into my house, you'd be like, when's the last time she wiped those baseboards? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yes. That was not, like, the best thing I did. But I took this job so seriously and was so committed that I said to myself, I'm going to be the best cleaner that this doctor has ever had in his house. Like, I'm going to make this place look so good. Like, I'm going down the carpet making those cute little triangles. Like, I never have done that in my own house, okay? I'm, like, wanting everything to be spotless. I'm wiping this, you know, granite in their kitchen, getting in an angle, making sure, you know, there's no smudges. I mean, that was who I was. So I did this for several weeks, and she just gave me job after job and got me pretty busy. And I was making, like, 200 to $250 a week just working Monday and Tuesday. 
So I'm throwing this on my debt. I paid off my first credit card that was like $250 on my Home Depot. I paid that one off, and I was like, cut it up. I just got rid of one of 11. <laughs> I paid it off. We did the whole Dave Ramsey thing, right? The snowball thing. I felt so good about it. But I, I, I just, I promised Brian that's what I was doing. And of course, you know, I don't care what you believe about giving, but I'm, I've been a tither like most of my life. So I tithed and then everything else went to my debt and I paid it. And I got the Every Dollar app on my phone and I tracked all my spending and I was putting even more money on my debt than that job. Well, a couple of weeks into my job, remember COVID? Remember when COVID hit? Okay, so COVID hit. Well, I got asked to go, you know, do my urine sample and the, they did the background check and everything. And one day my employer notified me that I had been approved for the elite team. Well, I didn't even know what the elite team was, but paid $18 an hour instead of 13. I thought, well, that's good, right? That's good, okay. Remember, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this. So I accepted this position on the elite team and then found out it was the Walton family, the Walton Corporation. I live in Northwest Arkansas, headquarters of Walmart, Sam Walton. Y'all know the name? Okay, all right. All right, Walmart stores. So we had their account, meaning that my cleaning company cleaned their condos, some of their personal residences and that sort of thing. So to get into the house or the condo or whatever, you had to be on the elite team. So I got assigned to some of the jobs. I didn't do any of their personal residences, but I did like the condos that their guests stayed in and that kind of thing. One day I got a call and she's like, so I'm going to put you in this other girl. You're going to go out and you're going to clean Stuart's jet. So I cleaned Stuart Walton's jet one day. Okay, so that was what I was doing. Still making like $18 an hour. One day I got a call and my employer said, are you sitting down? And I said, no, should I? I guess. Okay, I'm sitting down now. And she goes, well, here's the deal. I got a call from Alice's assistant. I didn't even know who Alice was, but she's Sam Walton's sister, billionaire, richest, yeah. Richest woman in the United States. I mean, the, the Walton family is the richest family in the United States and the richest non-royal in the world. Yeah. I didn't know these people, really. I mean, I knew the Waltons owned Walmart. That was about it. She said, I got a call from Alice's assistant. It, they're asking us to send one of our team members to them to clean their personal residences and anything else that they are using during COVID. Someone who will self-isolate for an extended period of time. We don't even know how long it will be. But you have to agree not to see anybody or go anywhere other than their house. And I said, well, I babysit my granddaughter a couple of days a week. I'd have to clear it with Alicia before I could say yes. She goes, well, talk to her and then get back with me. So I called Alicia and I told her, and she's like, mom, say yes. <laughs> and I said, well, you, I watched Jay for you. And she's like, we'll figure that out. She goes, what are they gonna pay you? And I go, well, that's the thing. They said, name your price. I said, well, what do, you, what do you think? And she goes, Mom, I wouldn't do it for any less than $1,500 a week. And I said, well, I was actually thinking $2,000. She said, go for it. <laughs> so I called my employer back, and I said, you know what? Because of the sacrifice I'm going to make, 
not seeing my family for, and I don't know how long it's going to last. They didn't want anybody in their residence because two of the Walton gals were pregnant and they didn't want them exposed to anybody that would have COVID. So I said, you know, I'll do it, but 2,000 a week. Oh, and because they didn't want you out and about, they were gonna buy my groceries and deliver them to me. I said, okay. So she said, well, I'll run it by them. So she tacked on $500 for her fee, ran by 2,500, they said, sure. So I went to work for them. That was not on my radar when I said yes to that cleaning lady at $13 an hour, right? But guess what? I worked for them for four weeks straight, made eight grand, threw it on my debt. After I got done with that job, my employer had taken my other clients from me, so guess what? I was unemployed. Guess what I pulled for a couple of weeks? Unemployment. I probably put eight, nine, 10, 11, 12,000 on my debt in one month. By August, my debt was paid. I was completely debt free. Now, that space between the scripture I stood on, which is, this is our last one, Deuteronomy 8.18. This is what I stood on when I decided I wanted to get out of debt. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So I stood on this scripture. This was the promise. God, you give me the power to get wealth so you can establish your covenant with me. One of the things that I said was, I want to be a generous woman. I imagined before I ever made a dollar at that job, I imagined what I'd look like in the future. And for me, I didn't know it would be that next December. I thought it might be a couple of years down the road. But I closed my eyes and I pictured my daughter's house where we all meet on, on Christmas morning. I pictured this stack of beautifully coordinated uh, ribbon-covered boxes for all my children. And I imagined each of them opening gifts on our big sectional that's in Alicia's house and all saying, Mom, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I just let my heart just sink. Oh, yeah, that feels so good. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. That's what my meditation looks like. What do I feel like? If this was my reality, how would I feel? Guess what I started doing with my first paycheck? Not only giving to the church, I thought, you know what? I've, I, I've, I've been a generous person for a lot of my life, and I got out of generosity because I had a sense of lack. So you hold on to everything when you think, right? You're, you're, you're barely making minimum payments to a credit card, so you're not a generous giver. And I thought, no, I am this woman. I am wealthy. So wealthy women give. So I started taking $20 bills to church to just find some random person to give it to just having fun giving away money. Then COVID closed the church down for a little while, so I started doing it through Cash App. Just, hey, Alicia, do you know somebody's Cash App? You know, oh, yeah, okay, there you go. $20, $40, $60, just giving away money. Why? Because a wealthy woman's not afraid. She's going to be in lack because she gives. So eight months, I was completely out of debt. Now, this last year, I've been able to put money in savings. I'm a different person today. I don't have to stand on this scripture as a promise of God for me. I'm living in this reality. So, in closing, what do you do in the space between? You see the promise of God. Your reality looks nothing like it. 
You take that scripture and you present it to your heart and you say to your heart, I'm choosing this. I'm choosing this is my reality. I know, I know what my body feels like right now. I know what my finances look, right now, look like. I know what this relationship looks like. But this, this is a promise I'm standing on. And then you begin to give your heart the evidence through your meditation, through creating those little movies. What would I look like if this was my reality? You write the script. If you don't like the way that something's going, get with Jesus, okay? There were times where I would say to him, I'm doing everything I know to do to get this relationship healed with my kids. Should I be doing something else? And a lot of times he did. Like one time he told me, he said, you've got, a, you've got an opinion about a lot of things. Keep most of them to yourself. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know what that means? That means that when things are being talked about, whether they're political or whether what's going on in the world or whatever, I'll hear my girls or my son-in-law say certain, certain things, and I can just sit there and smile. And internally, I can say, Jesus, you know exactly what I believe about this, but you and I, we're okay just keeping this between us. I don't give unsolicited advice to my kids. That's probably the best thing Jesus ever told me. Do not give unsolicited advice to your children. If they want your advice, they'll come ask you, okay? I have a great time with my kids now. We enjoy each other thoroughly. I'm blessed. They're rising up and they're calling me blessed. I'm complete in Christ. I'm lacking nothing. I'm not on eHarmony. I'm not on Tinder. I don't send out signals everywhere I go saying, do you see me? Do you see me? Am I attractive to you? Do you want me? Do you want me? Golly, I am free, Amen. okay? My finances, I, I am on the way to building wealth. I want to be independently wealthy. I want to be able to say, I can take care of myself to the day I die. I don't have to rely on my children. I will leave them something. Amen. Now, that, that's not what my reality looks like today, okay? I'm working my way into that becoming my reality. But what I'm doing in the space between is connecting with Jesus in my heart, following his leading, okay, and doing the things that he tells me to do. All right. Did y'all get anything out of this? Okay, good. Clint, if you want to just mention that too. Okay. Stay, stay up here for a second. Oh, okay. Thank you for your transparency. Yeah. I, I mean, I literally I feel like I just watched a movie. I mean, you know, you can go watch a movie or you can listen to her tell her story about her life. I mean, it's the same thing, but it's yeah. better. Yes. And, you know, I mean, that's, it's just, so you start out with all these scriptures of promises and yeah, this yeah. and God, and, and then, and then it's so practical. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm so thankful that you stuck with it. Yep. You let grace work. Yep. You, you made the hard decisions to change and yes. transform and didn't just mm-hmm. justify and, you right. know, and that, that's, that's, it's just what it looks like. I mean, really, honestly, it's what it looks like. And it, it's what the Christian world isn't experiencing in their personal lives. You know, right. we're detached from, we want the supernatural, we want the goosebumps, or I believe it mentally, but how does it actually affect my life? Yeah. Don't, I mean, that's what I want. I want right. to, I mean, I'm inspired. The, in the, I just want to say this. It's yeah. interesting, and I saw something in this, but the way that you went back and looked at your past and adjusted some things, you know, that, that's the only picture of you that you had of yourself to look at to adjust mm-hmm. to get a grid for what the future looked like. Right. And so there's something in that. You mm-hmm. can look at your past, but mm-hmm. not regretful, not remorseful, right. not 
judgmental towards yourself or toward God, but it's almost as if you rebuild your past to let it go so that you can move into yeah. your future successfully. It's, it's, it's a difficult um, concept sometimes to describe to people what it is that you do, but yeah. you picture yourself. If I were complete and whole and really believed that I was who God says that I am, how would I have responded differently yeah. in that situation? And when you walk yourself through it, your heart now has the evidence yeah. of this is who she really wants to be. Yeah. So then when a future situation comes up, your heart says, oh, she doesn't want to be that person. She wants to be this person. Yes. So you've given and your heart And there's healing that. in that and yes. forgiveness in that yes. and freedom. Absolutely. That's really powerful. Yeah. That's a good meditation. Thanks. Well, so you have this book here. Yes. This is a 30-day devotional, Lessons from Proverbs, yep. Practical wis Wisdom for Everyday Living. I think we only have, she only has about 12 or 13 back there. They're eight bucks, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, um, is uh, Kina, you want to slide on back there and get ready? Because let, let's just sell these out. Let's be a blessing to her. And let's be generous in the offering today because we want to be a blessing to her. Do you appreciate Christy coming and sharing her story? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, can, do you have time to pray for folks Absolutely. if they want? Yeah. yeah. So if our yeah. prayer team, come on up. Let's just stand up on our feet. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and be inspired and just be real and transparent with each other. May, may we see more of that in the church. Father, we thank you for this week uh, that we, we take what we learned today and we put it into practice and uh, we will be committed. You know, as you were telling your story, I, th I think of Paul. Paul was commissioned, and then 14 years later, he goes into the ministry. You know, you made these decisions two years later, a year later, five years later, and we're not talking overnight. You know, there's patience in that. Did y'all catch that, the time frames of some of these? I hope that spoke to you because it spoke to me. So, Father, we trust you. We love you. We yield our hearts to you to be used by you uh, and help us apply your word to our heart to develop that patience and be empowered by your grace to experience transformation, to be a testimony for you. In your name, amen and amen.